your Bible with you, and I hope that you do. Um, Lifespring, it's good that we bring our Bibles, because we're, we're going to be, this is your first time with us, you know we're going verse by verse through John's Gospel, and we're in chapter 13 this morning. And uh, bear with me a little bit, I, uh, gonna, I've got a tough, tough throat this morning. For those listening online, I'm drinking water. Um, over the holiday, uh, we, uh, we got to go out of town to do some fun in the snow. And when we were coming back over the pass, uh, you got to understand this picture a little bit. Um, I borrowed my friend's uh, F-350. I have an F-150. And, and an F-350 is just like twice as cool. Uh, I mean, this is the big diesel, the big supercharged engine. Uh, it's got these humongous tires. It's got mirrors that go out like eight feet, you know. And uh, it's a four-wheel drive machine. And, uh, you know, it's just you're driving, it's like, mm, more power. <laughs> you know, I'm just loving this, right? So we're going over, over the pass. And uh, we're heading up Mount Hood on our way back from Central Oregon. And... Um, and traffic's getting very slow because it's starting to get pretty snowy on the road. And, and I'm wondering, well, it's a little too slow. And, and, and as we come around the corner, uh, I'm right behind this. For those of you who have one of these, I mean no offense. A Prius. Not supposed to be where four-wheel drives are supposed to be. Not intended for the same kind of... Thing. Not only that, I think there was this person behind the wheel. I won't mention the gender, um, but did I mention a gender? I, you, your, your fertile imagination is going wherever, wherever your prejudices lie. I, I can't believe how prejudiced you are when I said that. <clears throat> Careful now. So, and 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 it's like white knuckled, right? And and they're driving. <clears throat> I didn't see all that until actually I, my family related to me because I was getting a little frustrated. I'm thinking, you know, I got the four-wheel drive. I got more power and we can pass. And there's no cars coming down the hill. There's, you know, just plenty of room and there's n- no one in front of this person for miles. Right. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going for it. So we pull out, put on the gas and zipping by. And as I'm zipping by, and I'm watching what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And my family just starts cracking up. And they're just dying laughing. I go, what's wrong? And they go, Chad, you just buried the, P- the Prius. <laughs> Apparently we'd gone by and we had just shoved this snowbank over. And I, I think they had to stop because uh, we had just complete. It was unintentional, but um, very funny. <laughs> At the expense of the Prius owner. And uh, I, I mentioned this because isn't it interesting how much we love power? Isn't it interesting? I mean, I just I felt like they were just this little bug and I was going to squash them. And I'm thinking, how silly is that? It's just a car and we're going over the mountain. How many of you have ever had a boss that was such a knothead? You you didn't do anything, but you you had you had imaginations of things that you wanted to do to that person. Come on, come on, someone be honest. All right, there's, there's only about eight honest people here. Um, 
I mean, how many of you have been so angry at a boss? I, I remember a boss that, for me, uh, was always wanting to be in control of everything, uh, control freak, and took credit for my successes. Dude, is that just annoying or what? I had never done this, and I don't recommend it, but I literally told him to take this job and shove it. Some of you are thinking, man, I wish I had the guts to do that. I don't recommend that because I was on a church staff at the time. Why, does, why, why should that be such a surprise? Because church people were, were just human, you know? There's a moral to the story I'll t- maybe tell you a little later. John 13. We're getting into the, a passage here where Jesus is beginning to explain to his disciples and to us this morning the real source of authority, the real source of authority. And it's not in a turbo-stroke diesel F-350 going over the pass, burying a Prius. It's not the boss who lords it over his peons. It's something different. In this passage in John 13, this is the John's uh, account of the Last Supper. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those Gospels, emphasize actually the mealtime where we get the tradition of communion. But John's Gospel is very unique in a couple of ways. Number one is that John has the longest account of the events in the upper room. Several chapters. Uh, actually, I think a quarter of his Gospel is dedicated to this night. And, uh, and he says actually nothing about the, the supper itself. But he says a whole bunch about what happened that night, uh, particularly in the conversations. John gives us some rich detail about the intense last-minute teaching of Jesus. And uh, at the last minute, because the next day he's going to go to the cross. And one of those details that he includes here is how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And so as we read the text this morning, uh, I want to invite you to ask a couple of quick questions. One is, why did Jesus wash his disciples' feet? Why did he wash his feet? What, in other words, what are the motives behind this? And then what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us today? And before we do that, though, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you that you um, knew about this snowy day and this very minute. And Lord, thank you that you knew every heart that would be here today. And I trust you, Jesus, that there is a message for each one of us. And Lord, I pray and trust that you will bring that this morning. Would you open our... Lord, well, I'm not going to pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that we would be open to what you have for us, each one of us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. In the first five verses, we see the motives of Jesus. There's actually six of them. I'm going to go just briefly through them. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So why did he go and wash the disciples' feet? What was the first reason? Well, it says that the time had come. The, the, the events were being ordered by God himself. And this was the time. This was the time for this particular event. This wasn't just a random, hey, I think I'll go wash the disciples' feet. This was, I believe, foreordained. And uh, it's interesting that in John's Gospel, throughout the first 12 chapters, we, we see this phrase that often says, 
you know, the, 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 the religious leaders didn't arrest Jesus. Jesus sort of got away from them all because, quote, his time had not yet come. And now John tells us, okay, this is it. The time has come. And now everything shifts now in, verse, in chapter 13. He says that he, he did so to show them the full extent of his love. Jesus is going to do something very unusual. He's going to wash their feet. And he does it because of his intense love for them. In fact, it says his full measure so that he would take the role of a servant to wash their feet. And then he would eventually the next night make the full ultimate sacrifice of the cross. And just something to point out here, and that is any time that the Lord seems to be doing something in our life. You understand the disciples, this washing of the feet thing. Now, that was a custom. And so that that made sense. But Jesus doing it made no sense at, at all. And so we need to realize that when we when Jesus begins to do things in our lives that we either haven't seen him do before, it doesn't make any sense. We need to understand that it is because he loves us. He loves you when he's doing those kinds of things. And that's how we can embrace the change that he's bringing. And so they know this. And so why now? Why would he wash his feet? Why wash their feet? It says the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. See, Satan was already on the move. Time had come. There's an, an, there's an intensity that is taking place. And it says in verse 3, Jesus knew that the, uh, the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew a couple of things. Number one, he knew that the Father had put everything under his power. And we need to understand something about that night and the events of the Passion Week. That Jesus was not the victim of some political intrigue. Some Jewish plot. Now, these were foreordained events actually controlled by, it says, the Father had put everything under his power. Whose power? Under Jesus' power. Jesus was in control of what was happening that night. It wasn't like, oh, Judas, really? You're going to go betray me? No, that's why Jesus predicted it. He he knew what was going on. And he knew that the the time had come, that he had come from... Literally, that Jesus himself had come from God and was returning to God, had come from God and was returning to God. And this, I believe, is a key for us to understanding the real motive for Jesus washing the disciples feet. Because he knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew who he was. He knew what he was supposed to do. There was one word that comes to mind when I think about this, and it's the word security. Jesus was extremely, completely secure in who he was, in his relationship with his Father, and why he was here. And as you, as you consider this, if you were to say, what is a key ingredient for someone to be able to serve another person honestly? Um, we might you think of the word, and it's often spoken, and it's true, we think of the word humility. Did you say Jesus had humility? Yeah, of, of course. He had it uh, in, in, an, in an eternal measure. He did. But Jesus was. He was very humble. But to be humble, a person must first be, and I believe this is the key, extremely secure in who they are. You see, Jesus was not worried about the, uh, needing the affirmation of his disciples. He didn't care if they thought it was a little awkward that he would get up in the middle of the meal and, and interrupt things and, and do this. It didn't bother him. And you see, when you see someone acting like a pompous jerk, 
It ain't because they're secure. It's because they're incredibly insecure. That's the reason why they need to lord it over people, because they're afraid that their real identity might come through. And so they sort of need to stroke their own ego by putting others down. It's this way when uh, we're at school and, 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 and you're saying stuff about somebody and maybe it's gossip or, or, or whatever, and, you, and you're doing it to make them look bad, but in the process to make yourself look better, to deflect away from your own insecurity. And we do this in so many ways. We do this in the workplace. We even do this in our marriages, in our families. I love, um, I have become, like many of us, Tim Tebow fans. I've become a Tim Tebow fan. I knew last night was going to be a long night for him. And uh, let's just be honest, God does not take favorites in the NFL. Uh, the best team wins. And uh, the Broncos got their heinies handed to them. But one thing I love about Tim Tebow isn't necessarily, I mean, there have been lots of professional athletes, lots of public figures who are outspoken about their relationship with Jesus. In fact, if you hear Tim Tebow speak, almost one of the first things he says after a game is, I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ. I said, he uses it, my Lord Jesus Christ, just like that. And I was like, dude, that is so cool. But what, but I've heard other people say that. But you know what caught my attention? It wasn't necessarily that. It was then how he referred to his teammates. He deflected the attention from himself to his team. And he gave them the credit. Not in that false humility kind of way. You know the, the, the jocks that do that. No, it wasn't me. You know, I, I really have a lot of help. I don't know their names, but... But there were some guys back there helping me, you know. But I, no, he, he's like, yeah, this, this guy was doing great and this guy was doing it. And he would list them off. Why? Because he's secure. He knows who he is. He knows that football isn't all that he's on this planet to be about. Servant humility requires that we become secure in who we are in Christ. And when you're confident in his love for you, his acceptance for you, his forgiveness for you, his salvation promised to you, and serving becomes natural and easy. When we're so insecure about our relationship with Jesus, oh, I wonder if he's unhappy with me. I wonder if I'm really saved. I'm wondering, you know, when you're insecure with your relationship with Jesus, it's going to be difficult to serve because the attention's always on your, your inadequacies, not the greatness of our God. I love that song this morning, where our attention really needs to be. So verse 4, he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he prepared a, uh, a poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What was it that prompted Jesus to do this? Why did he wash their feet? Well, we know that he loved them. He knew that he, he knew some things about the timing and all that. But practically, what was that all about? Was it because they had dirty feet? Was it because they had dirty feet? No. Actually, in part, yeah, they did. They had dirty feet. And that was a bit unusual. And here's the reason why. Because it was customary that to come into a banquet like that, someone would wash the feet. And no doubt the disciples had done that for one another time and time again as they would come to an event or into a home or something like that. But here, nope, it didn't happen. And, and the question is, why? Why is this Last Supper with a bunch of guys, 12, uh, 13 including Jesus, why, why are these 12 guys all got stinky feet? 
According to Luke's gospel, it seems that the disciples were a little distracted by something that to them seemed way more important than foot washing. And I'm just going to go to Luke 22 and verse 24. Luke reminds us that a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm going to sit at the Lord's right hand. I'm the man. I'm going to be in charge. Who's the greatest? And it seems that as Jesus started washing the disciples' feet, he did so, I think, to settle their argument. No doubt Jesus must have been sitting there listening to this nonsense. Knowing in 24 hours he's going to give his life for these knuckleheads. And they're debating who's going to be commander in chief. I mean, come on, guys. It's a guy thing. You can just see him. Yeah, I'm bigger. I'm better than you. I'm, you know, I'm the guy. I'm the man. You the man. No, I'm the man. You the man. And that's, that's the, the contest they're having. And Jesus settles it. I think without even saying a word, he's just going over there. Oh, gets the bowl of water, gets the soap and water. And then Jesus starts taking off his clothes. And by then he is in a loincloth. Stooping down, beginning to wash their feet. And so he settles the debate as if to say this. You guys want real power? You want to know the source of real authority? Then here it is. The source of real authority is not found in your power over people, but in your capacity to serve them. Take that. And I don't think he said it that way. But I think... For us, it kind of comes that way because it's so contrary to our culture. And at that moment, there was only one person who was secure enough to serve them. Jesus himself. He didn't need their affection, their acceptance, because Jesus was extremely secure in his acceptance and, and the approval of his own heavenly father. These guys, however, they're preoccupied with who would get the attention, the power, the prestige and the credit. And that's what insecure people need. They need to be validated. They need their ego stroke. And so the question we ask then is, how do we increase my capacity to serve others? How do I increase my capacity to serve others? And we've said it. Number one is I need to be secure with who I am in Christ. I need to be secure with who I am in Christ. Because everything flows out of that kind of security. Knowing who you are because you have said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I am placing my faith in you. I want to be a born-again believer and follow you all the days of my life. And I want to just lead us into something, because this is so foundational, I believe, that unless we really understand some these basic things, we're, 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 there's really no point in going on. And uh, I'm just going to, these are some truths, and I just want to ask you to repeat them back to me. They're not all of the truths, but I want to be secure, and if you want to be secure in Christ, we need to understand, I am in Christ, I am would you say forgiven? I am a joint heir with Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am a child of God. I am gifted by God. I am his adopted son or daughter of, of God. 
I am part of a royal priesthood. And I could go on and on and on. Because there's so many things. I look, if you want to go home tonight and find out how you're secure you are in Christ, go to Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> and it's just, in Christ. He says, in Christ. All that phrase just comes over and over and over. And you see, how does this apply to us today? You see, if you're a husband... And you're secure in your relationship with Jesus. You see, you're going to be able to serve your wife even if she doesn't respect you the way you think you deserve. Why? Because you're secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Wives, if, if you're secure in your relationship with, with the Lord, you can serve your husband even if he doesn't love you the way you deserve. Moms and dads, you can serve your kids even if they don't return the love and sacrifice that you give. And some would say that's the very definition of parenting. Employees, even if your boss is a total jerk, you can still serve him. Why? Well, because you might sign your paycheck. But if you're secure in your relationship with God, you don't work for that guy. You don't work for your boss. You work for the Lord. Because Matthew 25 and verse 4 says, Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. You see, the life of a disciple, every aspect of a life of a disciple is a life lived unto God. Every, everything that we do, all decisions, the money that we have, the things that we go, the resources, the jobs, the work that we do, the service that we render, all these things we do not because just we love that person, but because we love the fact that that person represents Jesus. And by loving that person, I am loving Jesus at the same time. So one by one, Jesus, the humble servant, washes the disciples' feet. And when he comes to Peter, I think Peter just blurted out, had the guts to say out loud probably what the other disciples were thinking, but maybe didn't have the courage to say. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Jesus is politely saying, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. You're ignorant. <laughs> you're a little ignorant, Peter. And I love how the way Jesus says it so gently. And he's ignorant to the nature of true authority. Peter, of course, is a lot like us because our culture teaches us that authority is about who's on top. Who's got the most people under their command? Who's got the biggest budget? How many friends we got on Facebook? And Peter? He's probably thinking this is about foot washing. And of course, that's not what this is about. Jesus is modeling a very profound principle, which then he comes clear to in verse 8. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Jesus, don't do what you want to do. <laughs> Only Peter could do that. You know what? We do that all the time. I shouldn't say that. He's just a representative Christian, isn't he? I mean, Jesus, you shouldn't be doing that. I know better. <laughs> and Jesus says this. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. If you have your Bibles open, underline that word part. You have no part with me. 
Why did Jesus insist on washing Peter's feet? Because as Peter's, if Peter's feet went unwashed, Jesus said, you have no part with me. What's going on? Is Jesus a germ freak? Is he one of those people who's freaked out by stinky feet? Come on, feet are just disgusting, aren't they? I mean, they are. Ew. I hate stinky feet. I can smell them a mile away. Someone in here, I think. No, just kidding. <laughs> now there's some insecure person going, oh my gosh, you can smell it. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> Jesus isn't bothered by Peter's feet. He's not bothered by Peter's feet. He's bothered by Peter's attitude. His worldly understanding of authority. And there's something that needs to be washed from Peter. And the dirt on his feet is just a symbol of that. What is it? Well, it's the sin. It's his sin. You see, Peter has completely missed the mark. That's what sin means. In fact, Peter's shooting at the wrong target altogether. When, P- when Jesus is going to leave them, and he is shortly, he's going to... Inv- Eventually, he's going to put Peter in charge. He's going to put Peter in charge. And there's no way Peter is going to be able to lead this group effectively. No way he's ever going to understand the true source of authority unless Peter allows Jesus to do something. Unless he allows Jesus to serve him. And that's the other thing. To increase my capacity to serve others, number one, we need to be secure in our relationship with Jesus. Number two, I need to let Jesus serve me. I need to let Jesus serve me. As I came to this, I need to tell you honestly, I, was, uh, I went out of town this week, and I was in my hotel room, and I, was, I, I got to this point, and it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Maybe for some of you, that's like, well, duh. But you've got to understand, maybe you're a servant type. Maybe you're a doer like me, where you just, you just, you, you, you're doing stuff for God. And pastors, that's what we do, Right? And there's many of us that are serving in church or serving in various capacities. And we get so filled up with what we're doing. And I just felt like Jesus was just saying, Chad, stop and let me, let me serve you. You see, because Peter's saying, no, Jesus, no, 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 I, I am serving you. And, 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 and like Peter, I, I think when we say those things, we don't understand the height of the arrogance in that statement. Because there's only one person in the room that's qualified to clean his feet. It's the only one who doesn't have any sin. Jesus. It's the only one. And so, most of us, Christian or not, we live in this frustrating place sometimes where... We live in this world that values the big boss authority. You know what I'm talking about. And on the other hand, we intuitively know that humble service is a virtue that God values. In fact, non-believers, non-Christians, they, they value service. We, we hear it talked about public service and, you know, vol- we have volunteers in all different capacities, Christian or not. But this tension that we have, I believe, arises because most people are willing to serve But if you're anything like me, you're extremely uncomfortable about being served. Jesus was teaching his disciples a lesson. That if you won't let me serve you, you really can't serve in my kingdom. 
Why is that so hard to, to be served? By Jesus or any, anyone else for that matter. Well, it's embarrassing to be the one served. How, how would you feel if today you went home and Jesus and a couple of angels showed up at your front door? Jesus is, cover, is wearing coveralls. He's got a, a toolbox and he says, I'm here to clean your, your dirty underwear and uh, do the dishes, clean the house, mow the lawn. And, and there's this bright light. And, and you know the condition of your home. You, you wouldn't invite people here to, to the house today because of the way it looks right now. I know some of you are going, is he talking about my house? No, I'm talking, you know, it's because you'd be embarrassed. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming over. I'm going to do that for you. Can you imagine how humiliating? That's the kind of feeling I think Peter is having at that moment. But we find out this, that the true test of humility isn't our willingness to serve Jesus. But it's our willingness to be served by Jesus. We have a one-year-old in our house now. And it's been several years since we've had the experience of the poopy diaper. It's been a few years. And now we are getting the aroma of the poopy diaper. And what I've discovered is that when Caleb has a poopy diaper, he seems to be the only one that it isn't, he isn't bothered by it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, he, he could just be going along, you know, flies following him around the room. Not bothered at all. And we insist on changing his diaper. And when we do that, it's, you know, Caleb isn't saying, well, he can't talk, but he's probably not thinking, gee, they're cleaning my diaper. How embarrassing. I just can't believe what he, he's not going to think that he's not going to because why? Because he can't. He's incapable of cleaning his own diaper. When we let our kids try that, they discovered a new kind of finger painting. It's, those of you who had little kids, you know what I'm talking about. It ain't cool. And unless someone cleans the poopy diaper, in a sense, Caleb has no part in the family. We Dude, you can be off in the room by yourself. But as soon as that thing's clean, come on, dude, sit in my lap. Let's chill, let's hang out, give me a hug. And he comes back and he hangs with us when the flies are gone. And you see, when it comes to spiritual dirty diapers and dirty feet, we need to let the Lord serve us in two simple ways. One is by cleansing me, spiritually speaking. Why? Because fellowship with Jesus requires cleansing by Jesus. And Peter begins to realize this profound fact. And we see this in his overreaction in verse 9. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my, my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a shower. Give me the full deal. And Jesus answered, a person, Peter, who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you, Peter, are clean. You, disciples, are clean. 
Though Jesus was saying to them in that room, not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And see, we get an important clarification because see, Jesus now explains to Peter that a good foot washing is all that is necessary for somebody who's already had a good bath. And notice that Jesus points out that not everyone in this room is clean. There's one person who isn't. He's referring now to Judas. And I believe this is what Paul is referring to in Titus 3, 5, what Paul calls the washing of regeneration. Big theological phrase. But I want to just unpack that because from the Message Bible uh, reading, and I think you'll catch the meaning. It says this uh, in verse 4 and 6 of Titus 3. When God, our kind and loving Savior, stepped in, He saved us from all that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. And we came out of it, new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about being born again. And what's happening here is that there's one that is not born again. It's Judas. The the, the new life never took with that guy. There was 11 disciples in that room. There was one wolf in sheep's clothing. And so Jesus explains to Peter, you're already born again. You've already been washed inside and out. So he says a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet because his whole body is clean. You see, it was customary when they would come into a festival like this or a banquet or a meal or into someone's home that there would be someone at the door and they would have a foot washing. They would wash their feet. Why? Because they've already had a bath. And on the way there, you see, they had open-toed sandals and very dusty, dirty roads. And their feet would get dirty. And so I need to let Jesus serve me by him cleansing me daily. Why? Because we walk through a dirty world. You see, if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're clean. You're born again. But as you go about your day, you pick up junk that doesn't belong in the life of a born-again disciple. I have some white sneakers. I love them. You've seen them probably. Um, and I, I keep them pretty clean. And one day I went out in the backyard. And uh, we have a, uh, just walking through the yard, had my nice clean sneakers. And fortunately, we have a, a, this huge Siberian husky who leaves things behind. And I'm walking through and I'm like, these brand new shoes. I'm thinking, oh, really? I'd had a bath. My shoes were clean. But I'm just walking through my world and I'm picking up junk. And see, this is a picture. Uh, John will even get to this in greater detail in his letter first, in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, what he's talking about is this thing is Jesus is saying, let me serve you and will you please come to me for a daily cleansing? Start your day with 1 John 1 9. End your day with 1 John 1 9. Because in between, you've picked up junk on your shoes in your life, attitudes, things you know as you're walking through it. We leave here on Sunday filled up and excited about things. And between Sunday and the next Saturday, 
It's amazing how deflated we can feel. Why? Because we're walking through a world that has attitudes that are 180 degrees opposed and people walking in completely different directions than you and I are. And they think totally differently. And they affect us. And we begin to think like the world. So when I'm secure in my relationship with Jesus, it's when I let him serve me by cleaning me spiritually. And when these things happen, then I'm qualified, number three, to serve others. Verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, what Jesus has done for us, we need to now do for one another in two ways. Practically, by meeting needs with love. I love this church from that perspective is that I hear things all the time. A life group will will notice a need in their group or in the church and they'll just meet it. You know, we have to call the church council and get people together and pray. They just they know the need and they're they have the means to do it. And and and. And it's getting addressed because we love each other. And I love that. There's another way, and I think, though, this is the hard one. And it's spiritually. It's the one that scares us because Jesus isn't saying that we just need to go out and wash each other's feet. Again, Jesus isn't setting up an institution of foot washing. That was a cultural thing that he was using to set an example for a spiritual thing about forgiveness. And dealing with sin. But spiritually, I need to help, we need to help one another wash our spiritual feet. And I think of all the things Jesus taught, I think this is one of the most difficult things for us to get right. Because, let's be honest, it's easy to spot the dirty feet. It's easy to look at someone else's sin, isn't it? I mean, if, if I just picked a random person in here... And I ask you to, 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 to tell me uh, the, the problems of the person sitting near you. I'll bet you could name at least one, if not five or six things that they got wrong in their life. This is how they're missing the mark. This is how they're falling short. It's very easy to spot because when we stink, we stink. But what's very, very difficult was very hard is to wash one another's spiritual feet without being misunderstood, our motives questioned, washing feet and, and helping them address sin without them thinking that we're being too judgmental. See, we're afraid, I think, sometimes to, to even say something about sin, particularly in someone else, because we're, we're so preoccupied with our own. Well, he's who without sin cast the first stone. But Jesus is saying, look, you guys are a bunch of people with dirty feet. They're going to get dirty all the time. Wash each other's feet. In fact, that's the key. Wash one another's feet. He's talking about a mutual foot washing. 
You see, it doesn't work when I say, hey, you got dirty feet. Why don't you clean them? Or, hey, you got dirty feet, honey. I'll, uh, I'll clean them for you. Dude, you got stinky feet of your own. Oh, yeah, but you're stinkier than me. Huh. That's not what he's talking about. He says, wash one another's feet. This, this is how we, we need to get over. See, some of us are a little terrified by this because you come from an, an experience in church, maybe at one end of the spectrum, where they were really good at, at, at pointing out the dirty feet. They were, that was like a science. You know, they had like dirty feet detectors. You know, Scarlet A, there's the adulterer walking in the door. Pot smoker. You know, uh, philanderer, spendthrift, drunk. You know, there's this mindset. And I don't see that here. I love that. But you see, we can go to the other end of the room that just says, you know what? They're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You know, just let it go. That is the other, that is, that is just as bad. Because what happens? We're both stuck in a place of not addressing and not washing feet. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your, sins one, uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It doesn't say expose one another's sins and let them twist in the wind. He's saying, no, no. Let me let me just illustrate it with this as I close. I got this a few years ago. It was actually a note that came from the president of Foursquare. And he was commenting about an event that happened where you may have remembered a couple of pilots fell asleep in the cockpit, made the headlines. Uh, Pastor Glenn... President Glenn Burris writes this, he says, the, the flight that I'm referring to made news because the pilots overshot the island by 15 minutes. In fact, first reports stated that, uh, that air traffic controllers tried for over 25 minutes to get a response from the cockpit before anyone replied. The initial conclusion was that the pilots, both of them, fell asleep during the 40-minute flight. There was speculation about possible stress and fatigue that might have contributed to the dilemma. In theory, the idea of utilizing two pilots in flight means that if one pilot becomes incapable for any reason, there is a backup plan. No one could adequately prepare for the possibility of both pilots taking a nap at the same time. Imagine how the passengers must have felt when they learned of the mishap. And then he makes this very wise conclusion. Life is much safer when someone's got your back. You're less vulnerable when you're not flying solo, unless the very person who is your wingman decides to take a nap at the same time that you do. And this is my point, he writes. Responsible relationships are characterized by actions that don't lead to casualties while maintaining a healthy balance of support and accountability. Wake up and make sure that someone, make sure that someone you're responsible for has not fallen asleep at the wheel. Remember Cain and Abel? He said, am I my brother's keeper? That's a rhetorical question, but you know what the answer is? 
Yes. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's wash one another's feet. Lord, would you come this morning and just remind us of your faithfulness to be our servant. Lord, it's astonishing that we need to be able to let you serve us. That is so hard because we're arrogant, we're prideful, all these things. Holy Spirit, this morning, would you come and would you break through those walls? we would be humble enough to let the Savior of the world do what He wants, even if it means something embarrassing. But how great is it is to have clean feet, to be clean spiritually. What a blessing, Jesus, to be able to know that we're pure and fresh as the wind-driven snow because of your blood, because of your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.